You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So, yes, Happy New Year, everybody. Good to see you this morning. So, as Joe said, we're um, starting this series that we're calling Hands In. Uh, which is maybe uh, slightly cryptic, but that's good, I think, because it kind of keeps us on our toes. But yeah, we're really looking at what it means to be uh, a church community and um, what it means to contribute, how we can play our part, how we can all be part of creating and sustaining and developing and growing uh, a community. And so we're beginning this morning by thinking about this question, what is the church? And it's church with a capital C. So it's kind of big picture stuff, um, I guess, that we're looking at this morning. That's the question. What is the church? Um, And one way to address this question is to look at it from uh, an historical perspective. To ask the question, uh, why does the church exist? How how is it that we're here? Why is it that uh, around the, 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 the world, in every corner of the globe, there are Christian communities that we call churches? Um, and most of those communities were meeting at some point today. I don't know whether you ever sort of think about that, but I, whenever I do, it always kind of moves me to, to think that throughout the day today, in every part of the, the globe, there will be people meeting uh, in all sorts of different ways and re- reflecting their faith and expressing their faith in all sorts of different ways. But that's what we're part of. So how did we get here? How do we get to this point where we have this thing that we call church? So an obvious place to start might be to go back to what we often refer to as the early church, those Christian communities that were formed um, 2,000 years ago in the aftermath of Easter and Pentecost and the outflowing of all of that. Uh, But those communities didn't just appear out of nowhere. Um, And I think if we want to answer this question fully, thinking about it from this historical perspective, we have to go back much further. And so I'm going to take us back to a passage which has been very important for us over a number of years as a a church community. And for those of you who've been around, probably quite a bit of what I say this morning will be familiar to you, but um, there are no prizes for being novel, so I'm just going to share what I'm going to share this morning. But this is the, the passage that we have often come to and come back to over over the years. This is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Yahweh said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this is where we find the roots of the church. This is, this is where the story really begins, I think, with the calling of Abraham and the promise of blessing. This calling and this promise that was made to Abraham, the promise of blessing, not just blessing for him, but blessing through him and his descendants, spreading out, flowing out into all of creation. So it's a really foundational passage, I think, um, and... It's where I want to to start this morning. But it's also, it's a problematic passage. It's not a passage that we can necessarily read lightly. And maybe as we've read it and looked at it this morning, and if you have in mind what's happening in Palestine at the moment, it's a passage that has got some sharp edges to it. Um, And it's problematic in some ways because it's often linked with the question of land, with the idea of possession and territory. Uh, And we see the awful consequences of that being played out, don't we, now in Palestine today. 
these questions, this grappling over land, over territory. Um, and some of the roots of that tragedy go back to the way in which the church has treated the Jewish people over the centuries because we've become disconnected from this sense of where we came from and where our roots really are. And so some of the, the kind of the, the, the complexity of what's happening, some of the, the kind of the, the things that have fed into that come from those, those horrific moments in history when the church, the Christian church, has actively persecuted the Jewish people. So that's all part of the story because we've forgotten at those points that this is where our story begins with Abraham. But maybe another reason why all of this gets so mixed up and, and it becomes so devastating is that this, all this stuff about land and about territory and possession gets disconnected from the purpose of the whole thing, um, which is blessing. The reason that God called Abraham, the reason that he made these promises, that he called Abraham, promised him, yes, promised him land to live in and a great nation coming from him, was that he might be blessed, but that the whole of creation might be blessed through him. And when we lose sight of that, when we, when we get kind of disconnected from that, then I think we're in trouble. And so as we think about the nature and the purpose of church over these coming weeks, as in a sense, we kind of become a little bit introspective. We, we kind of look inward a little bit. I think it's really important that we hold on to this basic fundamental truth that we are blessed to be a blessing. It's really important that we keep that in view that we keep in mind why it is that God has called us, why it is that God wants us to try and figure out what this thing called church looks like. It is in order that we might be a blessing. And so I think this is where we find uh, the origins of the church, the people of God, called and blessed in order to bring blessing to the world. That's where the story begins. And as the story unfolds from there through what we call the Old Testament, we see how these promises were fulfilled, how a great nation emerged from Abraham. And uh, we see how the law was given to the people of Israel to flesh out what this calling might look like. And again, if we're honest, when we read some of that stuff now, some of it's hard to read, isn't it? Some of it's hard to understand. We kind of think, well, why on earth was that such a big deal? Some of it grates, doesn't it? And We've grappled with, with some of that um, stuff around the whole issue of inclusion, haven't we, and, and sexuality. But in other ways too, there are, there are plenty of things that we might read uh, in those early books of the Bible that might make us think, well, hang on a minute, what's this about? What's this saying? But I think if we look carefully, and if we read carefully, then we can see that there is an underlying vision for justice and for inclusion too, that God's purpose was that this people of Israel should be a community where the stranger was welcome, where there was a place for those who were not born into that community. God wanted there to be this openness to the outsider. But as we continue to read that story through and see how it unfolds, we see how quickly the nation lost sight of its calling to be a blessing. It got that, that sense of identity, got dis detached and disconnected from that original purpose. And the nation of Israel becomes part of the problem rather than a contribution to the solution. And as we read these ancient texts in what we call the Old Testament, we see, we meet the prophets that God sent, those, those uh, men very often that God sent to call his people back to him, to remind them of who they were. 
And in some of those writings, we see some of that broader purpose again. So uh, the prophet Joel predicts that time when God will pour out his spirit on all peoples. And Isaiah has a vision of, of Mount Zion, Jerusalem, and the nations of the earth pouring in, climbing the slopes, wanting to understand who this God is. The people being a light to the Gentiles. So there are glimpses, there are moments where this whole picture is seen, but very often it seems that it's lost. And so by the time we get to Jesus, the nation of Israel has shrunk uh, politically and, and spiritually. They were prisoners in their own land under Roman occupation. And they had a kind of siege mentality that if, when we read the gospel stories, you can see this coming out in various ways. This kind of siege mentality which views anyone outside of Israel with suspicion and distrust. And uh, this idea of purity that became so important. And that extended not just to the people who were ethnically not Jewish, but those within Israel who didn't fulfill and didn't meet the criteria for what was understood to be purity. Those who were diseased and dispossessed, even within the people of Israel themselves. So that's the environment in which Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God. Something different, not that narrow nationalistic version, which was all about Israel for its own sake, but this broader picture again, this open invitation, this invitation to anyone and everyone to join in with what God is doing, that broadening out again of God's purposes. And so the language kind of shifts from blessing to talking about the kingdom of God, but it's the same reality, it's the same kind of idea, if you like, that's just made much more explicit. And I think one of the images for me that really expresses this notion of kingdom really well is the idea of a feast, a banquet, because so often that was how Jesus expressed his ministry, wasn't it? That's, those are the stories that we read, and those are the points so often where Jesus came up against those who opposed what he was doing, where there was conflict, where there was argument, where there was debate. And it's around the meal table where we see the extent to which the invitation really was an open invitation. It was for anyone and anyone who wanted to be there. And that included the, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who long for justice, the dispossessed, the sidelined. And I love this image of the kingdom of God as a feast. But I wonder how that works out in practice as I was thinking about this and just reflecting on what do we make of that image how, do, how does this actually work in practice because I think sometimes church is a bit more like a formal sit-down meal where whatever it says on the door or on the website unless your name is on the list there really isn't a place for you or sometimes maybe church is a bit more like a cafe you know, you go into a cafe sometimes and there's tables dotted around, there's plenty of space. And maybe there's a, a big table somewhere in the middle where there's a whole gang of people that are all sat around and they're enjoying each other's company, they're chatting and so on. So there's plenty of space, you can find a seat, you can sit down, maybe someone will come and serve you. Maybe even someone from another table might come across uh, and speak to you. But maybe not. But you're kind of on your own, you've got to find your own way. Maybe at some point... If you keep coming long enough, you'll become a familiar face and people will maybe start to know your name. And maybe 
Maybe even one day you might get to join that big group around the table in the middle and you can enjoy that, that kind of sense of belonging, but, but maybe not. Sometimes perhaps church is a bit more like that. And I've deliberately avoided saying other churches because that's the temptation, isn't it? To say, well, some churches are like that. Because I wonder sometimes whether we're like that, if we're honest. And I think there's a real challenge for us to really embrace this idea of feast, of banquet, of this sense of a, a table where everybody sits around, around this, this, this one table. That's, that's the vision I have. That's, that's what I think it should look like. A big table. Everybody sat around the same table. It's a bit rowdy, maybe. It's a bit messy. And you know, when someone comes in, we don't say, yeah, you can sit over there. We say, yeah, come on, we'll budge up. We'll move. We'll shift a bit. We'll become a little bit more uncomfortable because we want to make space for you. Some of the conversations we'll have to stop because it would be rude, wouldn't it, to carry on talking when there's somebody new come and join the group. That's what I think it should look like. That's the challenge for us. If we really want to embrace this notion of the kingdom of God as a feast. And another thing I like about this language of kingdom is it introduces fuzzy edges rather than hard borders. Because once we start talking about the kingdom of God, it's much harder to determine, well, who's, who's in and who's out? Who's, who's, who can, you know, who's part of the thing and who isn't? And when we, when we read the Gospels, when we look at the stories of Jesus, we see that, that, yeah, there were those who followed Jesus, who became disciples, who gave their lives, gave up their everything to follow him and continued to follow him all the way through Easter and all the tragedy of, of Good Friday and they stuck with it and they, they continued to follow. But then there are all those other people that Jesus impacted and, and connected with who didn't become disciples. But they, they got it. They understood what the kingdom was about. And that's, that's okay. I like that idea of fuzzy edges rather than hard borders. And again, this is, this is some, uh, a quote that I've used before, but I think it just expresses so well the connection, the relationship between church and kingdom. Because when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's not another way of talking about church. Church is something different. And this is... Um, a guy called Leslie Newbigin, he was a bishop in India and came back to the UK uh, when he retired and wrote a number of books which were very influential um, around a mission uh, in, in the UK in the end of the 20th century. And he said this, he said, the church is called to be a credible sign, instrument and foretaste of the kingdom of God, pointing towards the kingdom, bringing the kingdom into being, giving people the opportunity to experience what the kingdom of God looks like, what it means to, to, enjoy, to, to join in with the feasts, to sit around the table. And that word credible is really important, to be a credible sign, a believable sign. That's our challenge. That's what we're called to be. And so just to finish the story... So Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God and then after Jesus' death and resurrection comes the day of Pentecost. The good news about Jesus spreads. Christian communities, churches, this is when we, we first really encounter the word church and this idea of, of Christian communities springing up 
um, engaging with the world beyond Palestine, the Gentile world, with all its diversity, all its oddities, all the stuff that some of these early Christians just found so weird and so difficult and so challenging. And again, here the language shifts a little bit. These Christians talk about the lordship of Christ, but it's still the same thing. It's that same underlying reality, living life under the blessing of God. And if we trace that story forward from that point, again, as it was with the people of Israel, so often the church has been part of the problem rather than part of the solution, hasn't it? We've missed it. We've failed to understand what our calling really is. Uh, and it's shameful sometimes when we look back and we read, but it's, there's always that danger, isn't there? We need to keep this sense of who we are, of what the calling is for. Why is it that God has called us in this way? We still need our prophets, don't we? We still need those people who will call us back and say, hang on, this is what it's about. This is where we should be. So church doesn't exist for its own ends. So in all our thinking about who we are and what church looks like and how we do things, we just need to keep in mind this sense of why. Why are we here? We're here in order to be a blessing and to be a means of blessing to the world. And we do church as best we can in order to do that as best we can. So, back to the question, what is the church? One way of answering that question Say that the church is the outworking and the continuation of God's promises to Abraham, expressed now through following Jesus. We're a community of disciples. And we're called into community to work out together what this means. And I think the best way of expressing this, this essence of, of what this looks like, how, how we do this, is this these verses from Hebrews, and I'm slightly hesitant about referring to Hebrews in um, Amanda's presence, but um, hopefully what I'll say will be okay. Um, but I love this because I just think this this get this gets us right to the heart of things. So beyond all the programs and activities and everything that we try and put into place, this is what it's about, isn't it? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's what it's about, isn't it? How might we spur one another on? How can we encourage one another towards love and good deeds? That's what we're here for. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. This is the heart of what church is about, isn't it? And it's active, isn't it? It's not passive. And we're called to do this together. So may that be something which we continue to explore together, that we learn what it means to do this together, but that we do that knowing why it is we're doing it, that we keep in mind and in view this sense of our calling, which is to be a blessing. So let's just take a moment, shall we? And uh, we'll just pray together. And... As we reflect on this great story that we're part of, um, it seems right that we should acknowledge the ways in which we have at times forgotten our roots. 
and the tragedy that's often followed when we've done this. I'm not sure what I think about the apologising for behaviour that of, of other people, but it feels like we should acknowledge it. But this is part of our story. So let's pray together. So Father, as we reflect on this great story that we're part of, stretching all the way back to Abraham, we acknowledge that the church, your people, that we have often forgotten our roots and our heritage. And that this has sometimes led to the Jewish people being treated horrifically. We recognize too that these attitudes have affected our treatment of other groups and individuals, especially those within the LGBTQ community. We've forgotten perhaps why you've called us, turned in on ourselves and put the walls up. We confess this and we ask your forgiveness. And as conflict rages once more over the possession of the land of Palestine, we pray once again for peace. We ask that you would raise up those who would rediscover the fullness of your promises to Abraham, those who seek to be a blessing who would wish to share rather than hold resources to themselves. Heal the wounds and drive out hate and fear, we pray. And for ourselves, may we experience in greater fullness your blessing and discover more fully what it means to inherit this calling to be a blessing to the world. May there always be room for the stranger at our table, even at the expense of our own comfort. And may we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.